Hi, I'm Erin Fletcher. I'm a bookbinder, owner of Herringbone Bindery, living in Boston, Massachusetts, and this is Cut the Craft. Are you talking, well, it better not be before you embroider my space banana. Space banana? What? Which I realize sounds potentially very wrong if you <laughs> right. didn't know that it's actually a illustration of a fruit banana flying through space. <laughs> and I do appreciate you mentioning it to a like a client of mine who just sprung it on me <laughs> randomly. <laughs> I have the plans for space banana, but I don't have any of the materials like cut yet. So mm. but yeah, right, that's right. maybe something I could prepare. <laughs> Um, at yeah. the studio whenever I get back there. Well, no rush, but get on. <laughs> <laughs> Am I the first bookbinder you guys have interviewed? Or yeah, yeah. I think uh, so. I mean, I guess other than me. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right, here we go. Welcome to Cut the Craft, everybody. I'm Brian, and I'm Amy. And I'm very excited today because we have a fellow bookbinder and a good friend of mine, Aaron Fletcher uh, from Boston, Massachusetts. Aaron, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about what you make and uh, give us a description of what your work is and what the process behind it is? Sure. So like I said, I'm a bookbinder and I really focus on creating new bindings usually what I describe as like unique one-off bindings. But sometimes I do small edition projects, but nothing larger than about 30. So really focusing on just like the unique individual projects. Mm -hmm. And I would say that I split my studio work into kind of two groups, client work and exhibit work. And the big difference between those is kind of the amount of control that I have over like the design and material choices. Mm -hmm. Working with clients, there's kind of like this back and forth, a collaboration to what the final product is going Mm. to look like. Um, And then exhibit work is kind of solely my own design and creation. And, you know, I can work without limitations. But yeah, I think both are like really interesting. And there's this like challenge and satisfaction to work with clients and like work within the restrictions of, of their imagination and their budget. But generally, the work that I do is people come with me and ask me to rebind, you know, a favorite book of like their husbands that they want to have kind of a custom binding for to give as a present, or they have all these materials that they've collected from colleagues and they want it bound into a book to give to someone as a retirement Mm -hmm. gift. Uh, Those are the projects that I really actually love. I know they're really being created for some special moment Mm -hmm. in someone's life. Or last Christmas, I bound a copy of a short story um, for a mother. It's a story that her son wrote, and she really wanted to have it bound in just a really nice, simple leather binding. Um, So that's kind of a short description of of some of the work that I do. It sounds like the majority of your work is taking something that's been written or has been printed and you're binding it as opposed to like binding just blank uh, a blank book. Is that true? You got some against blank books, Amy? Yeah. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's right. And yeah, I I rarely do any kind of blank book. I mean, I've, I've definitely made guest books mm-hmm. over the years um, and like photo albums, but that's not really my Mm -hmm. interest. I I really like to kind of connect with what the content Mm -hmm. is and, you know, create something on the outside that like really reflects the content. Mm -hmm. And so as far as materials go, just for readers who don't know the different realms of book binding and readers, for listeners who don't know (laughs) uh, (laughs) our very strange and wonderful world of books, uh, would you just kind of describe a little bit about the materials you're using to create your bindings versus some of the other materials that are out there? Yeah, I think I stick with pretty like traditional book binding materials, working with leathers like specifically made for book binding and book cloth and decorative papers and handmade papers. Um, So yeah, definitely like working with 
the vendors that are not necessarily like making things specifically for book binding? Most of the bindings I've seen from you have are, you know, sort of these very elegant, beautiful, like leather bindings. um, Yeah, like my exhibit, my personal work, you mean, not like my client work. Yeah, so I don't think I've seen a lot of your client work um, in general. So a lot of what I'm thinking of when I think of, you know, herringbone bindaries output are things like that. And so that makes me curious what percentage of your work is exhibit work versus client work. Sure. So with my client work, I um, definitely stick to more traditional materials that many other binders are using, like, you know, goat skins and calf skin, book cloth and decorative and handmade papers. Um, But with the exhibit work, um, I definitely like to explore kind of non-traditional materials as well. Um, So I use a lot of Buffalo skin, which is not specifically manufactured for bookbinders in mind, Mm. um, but still works really beautifully. Mm. And, you know, I've played around with like stone veneer and and wood veneer doing embroidery work. Yeah. So I like to kind of see, and I, and I'm kind of, I think there are other binders out there doing this too, just like what else um, can we pull in from other trades and and throw it on a book? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested in what makes a good leather for bookbinding. Like why why is goat skin better than bison would be? Or like why is that more traditionally used? Or can you talk about that for just a couple of minutes? That would be interesting. Yeah, I can do my best. I think it's more of um, not necessarily this the animal itself, but how it, the skin is processed. Mm-hmm. And a lot of suitable bookbinding leathers are vegetable tanned, mm. um, whereas other leathers um, are chrome tanned. Mm-hmm. Um, and just that added metal in the skin can make it um, more challenging for bookbinders to use. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the processes, we really need the skin to absorb moisture and a chrome tanned skin is not going to do that. Okay. Um, and so the the buffalo that I use is sort of partially chromed tanned. So I can use it in similar ways, but certain techniques like tooling, which require moisture, uh, is a little more challenging to do on buffalo. It's still it's still manageable, mm-hmm. but it just treat it in a different way. Some of the like animal selections are, are kind of coming down to us from a historic tradition mm-hmm. of, right. you know, calf skin and sheep skin and goat skin are things that have been used on books for centuries. Mm-hmm. Um, and sheep less so now. Um, I would say in general, calf and goat are like the two go-tos mm-hmm. that people mm-hmm. um, think of in the book world. But of course, as Aaron was saying, there's all kinds of options. I mean, um, some people are using fish parchment or fish leather, and um, I've actually had a student one time use frog leather. Oh, I think I've seen that. <laughs> I think I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it depends on like where you are in the world. You know, in Australia, they use like kangaroo skin mm-hmm. a lot because they have plenty of mm-hmm. it. So, yeah, I think for American binders, we're definitely using leathers that are common from like a European history of book mm-hmm. binding. Mm-hmm. So Aaron, you were trained in traditional binding. It sounds like you're incorporating both that and uh, non-traditional techniques, but it, that happened at North Bennett Street School. And now you offer workshops there. Can you tell us a little bit about the school, um, your training and what your experiences were like? I really had a wonderful time in in my um, two years as a student at North Bennett. I really bonded with some of my classmates and and I hold those friendships like really dear to me today, Mm -hmm. both like for personal and professional reasons. I can kind of reach out to them in any aspect of my life. There's kind of like two main things that I appreciate about the program at North Bennett. One, it really allowed me to develop this strong foundation of skills and it um, gave me this confidence to build a bindery business and also become an instructor. I know that I can always rely on my education to find a solution um, when issues arise and 
you know, in the the occasion that I, I don't have the answer, I know that I can go to the community, which is kind of my second point of the North Bennett program is it really welcomes you into this community that um, for me, it's been really encouraging and helped me flourish in the field. So those are kind of the two things that I like to point to as reasons why I loved the program and why I feel like I've been successful. And could you tell us more broadly just a little bit about North Bennett Street School and what kinds of what it is and what it offers? Um, not just in terms of bookbinding, but also, um, you know, more broadly, because since a lot of our listeners are going to just be interested in handcraft in general. Yeah. Um, so North Bennett Street School is in Boston, Massachusetts, in the North End neighborhood. It's um, been in that neighborhood for, I think, over 130 or 40 years. Wow. And um, they've always been offering some kind of like trade program um, from the start. It started off um, offering classes for immigrant women and children to learn different hand skills so they could go out into the world and get jobs. Wow. And then in the, I think in the 1960s or 70s, it um, started developing these like short-term programs. Mm-hmm. So the school has eight different um, programs and they range from being a year long to three years long. Bookbinding is a two-year program. Mm-hmm. But you can go there to learn how to be a locksmith, to go into carpentry or preservation carpentry, um, to just kind of do general woodworking. You can learn how to um, tune pianos or repair pianos, make violins and other stringed instruments. And uh, there's also a jewelry department. I think I got all of them. (laughs) 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 Yeah, it it is such a cool cool place. It's a really special um, environment and having those, I've visited a few times and done a little short workshop there. And I think one of the things that's so neat about that North Bennett and any craft school is just the proximity of all these different crafts and resources, that sort of cross-contamination that happens and collaboration. Mm Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, you mentioned earlier that I offer workshops there. And so if you are interested in learning a skill, but you um, maybe don't want to turn it into a career, you don't have time to, you know, take two years out of your life to, to go there. The school offers short term workshops through their continue education program. Um, And those in the bookbinding department, those are anywhere from a single day to five days. Um, The woodworking has like a three month intensive um, if you, you know, really want to develop a lot of skills um, in that area. So Mm -hmm. those are really great programs. And I've been teaching um, in the continuing ed department since 2012. So I've interacted with a lot of people over the years and people coming from different disciplines and, um, you know, people who've not done any kind of bookbinding or really used their hands in any creative way in a while to people who are interested in the program and just want to know more about what it means to be a bookbinder. So it's been really, um, it's been really great. What does it mean to be a bookbinder? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Existential question. (laughs) I mean, I think some people come in having sort of a romantic notion of what a bookbinder is. And, you know, I think the the reality of it is it's quite a hustle. At least that's how I feel sometimes. Um, Yeah, definitely. Especially being a self-employed bookbinder, um, you know, juggling the administrative side of my business and the creative side and like finding that perfect balance and also trying to figure out how to create a balance between work and life. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and I will say that like the majority of students coming out of the North Bennett program maybe have the smarter idea of like just getting a full-time job at an institution doing conservation work. But I don't know. I enjoy, I enjoy being self-employed. I enjoy being control of my own schedule and, and taking on jobs that I find to be really meaningful and um, kind of feed my creative appetite. So I don't know if that answers what it means to be a book. No, reader, I, I mean, I honestly wasn't <laughs> expecting any answer. So that <laughs> turned into a very, uh, a very poignant moment. Like eloquent. <laughs> answer. Yeah. So hats off to you, Aaron. Oh, 
<laughs> since we just talked about North Bennett and workshops and that sort of thing, maybe now would be a good time to, if you have any suggestions for someone who's looking to get involved in bookbinding, can you recommend a couple resources offhand that they could look up um, to help them? I really think taking some kind of introductory workshop, you know, whether that be at North Bennett or at a institution near, you know, nearby that person, I think it really gives people a sense of the skills required um, to be successful in bookbinding and just kind of like what's mm -hmm. involved. I remember having a student who took a five-day introductory class with me and decided to leave after the second day because she didn't realize how much sewing was involved oh, in bookbinding. Wow. <laughs> um, and she just really didn't wow. like it. So, um, <laughs> but now she yeah. knows she, you know, she decided to take that class and just like realized it wasn't for her. Well, and especially with you who do a lot of embroidered <laughs> bindings. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, it's, it's sort of curious what she thought bookbinding was um, before coming into that class. But did you ever find out? <laughs> no, I didn't really <laughs> ask further questions. <laughs> um, and like that sort of thing doesn't bother me. I mean, like that's kind of the idea of taking an introductory right. workshop is um, to find out if it's something you actually yeah. really enjoy doing. And if it's especially if it's something you want to like mm -hmm. do as a career, like I, you know, don't invest so much time into like a full time program do some short-term workshops right. first. Do I have a question just as, because I want to take like every workshop all the time and I don't, I, because I'm a craftsperson, have no money. Uh -huh. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I, it makes me wonder, do you, do students normally have to supply their own tools for book binding um, or are those provided normally? Maybe it depends on the institution. I don't know. Yeah, I think it would depend on the venue. There have definitely been places outside of North Bennett where I've taught that do supply some materials, maybe like for a small fee or the tools, mm -hmm. and some places that haven't. North Bennett does supply all the tools and the materials. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if there's like a specialty tool needed, then maybe um, we ask students to bring it if they have it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, and Getting back to your point that not all craftspeople have money or like even people who are interested in crafts have money is with bookbinding, there's a lot of, there are a lot of free tutorials, you know, on the internet, whether they're just like written tutorials or mm -hmm. video tutorials. I can't really like say if they're all good um, or if, you know, they're giving you good advice, but like there's definitely- You mean like, you haven't seen all of them? No, I um, but yeah, I think like there's definitely accessible ways to learn about bookbinding and then like, and then hopefully like you could get to the point where you could take a class with like, a, you know, a reputable instructor. But mm -hmm. yeah, if it's not in the cards for you, there's definitely a lot of free online sources. If you look up the book arts web, it's oh, yeah. the, uh, Philo Biblon, uh, which is with a P-H-P-H-I-L-O-B-I-B-L-O-N dot com and that'll take you to the book arts web and the, in the resources tab they have as Aaron was just talking about not only a huge list of bookbinding tutorials that are very kind of mm -hmm. DIY friendly and sort of allow you to just get started with minimal mm -hmm. a minimal setup but on top of that they have a huge list of resources in terms of suppliers mm -hmm. to get bookbinding mm -hmm. materials and uh, craft schools and places that are teaching workshops all over the world. I mean, it's a pretty big, um, it has a lot of international resources too, not wow, just that's stuff really cool. in the States. Yeah. It sounds like this has been your experience too, but it's certainly been mine. But I found that people have been very generous with, are very generous in this community with their knowledge, which I find very inspiring. Yeah. And one of the, one of the things I love most about it. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I, I guess I had like a different path than you because I went through North Bennett, maybe like a more structured path, but I still continue to take workshops to the, to this day. Cause there's always something new to learn, but um, yeah, people in the community are like really, really open to like answering questions and like helping you out, which um, I, I don't think is the case with all crafts and all trades. So it's a, it's a mm -hmm. really unique community to be a part of. That's Absolutely. Nice. Very welcoming. 
digital high five from a safe distance, Aaron. <laughs> yes, from a safe, socially, di- socially distance, socially appropriate distance. What, what, what am I trying to say? It's a six foot high five. No, six feet apart. Yes. <laughs> or, or as we learned uh, in two episodes ago, uh, that it's eight guinea pigs away. Oh, yeah. It is eight <laughs> guinea pigs away. Okay, wow. <laughs> so if you haven't listened to the episode with Birch Bark Beth yet, check that out if you want to learn about that new uh, system of measurement. <laughs> I, I personally find a commonality with your interest in textiles and fiber arts and sort of incorporating that in something that's not really part of that uh, medium. So can mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about your connection to textiles and fiber arts and what is the decision, excuse me, what is the decision making process that goes into incorporating that into your bindings? So I I was trying to figure out like where my love of fiber and like textile art came from. And I don't really know. I just I have always been working with fiber arts as a medium, um, even as a kid and doing embroidery. I like every week would do a new like cross stitch like kit. Oh, wow. And, and, you know, doing like braided bracelets and latch hook rugs and just all these like whatever I could get my hands on. And and that Uh sort of evolved into um, making my own clothes. And then when I got to college, I developed like a deeper skill in embroidery and dyeing and batik and weaving. And, and I just was trying to like kind of collect every technique possible in, in fiber wow. arts. And, wow. and yeah, I think it was just like a medium that like, I really, I just really loved like working with my hands and like manipulating the material. And it, it was a medium that kind of like made sense to me or sort of maybe just like sparked something subconsciously that I didn't really understand. <laughs> <laughs> But like uh, kind of through um, actually my weaving work is is how I got into bookmaking. And like I didn't think I could like fall in love with something more than than like fiber arts, but it mm-hmm. was bookmaking. And wow. um, I knew that like um, while I was like learning bookbinding in North Bennett, I knew that I like eventually wanted to blend both of these mediums together. I just didn't really know how. And then I stumbled across a book in the school's library called English Embroidered Bindings by Cyril Davenport. And it's sort of, (laughs) it's just like, like my mind was blown. In bookbinding history, there are so many examples of people incorporating embroidery into bookbinding. And these were typically done on um, like a fabric substrate, like canvas or silk um, and velvet. So I really um, wanted to see if I could introduce leather into that mix. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of where it all wow. began. So can you, I'm really interested in like the details of people's turning points. Uh-huh. Do you know, or was there a, a turning point time for you where you were like, oh, you know, I really love weaving, but here's this this new thing, bookbinding, how did that even present itself to you? Well, I actually had to, as a class assignment in one of my weaving classes, we had to, you know, construct a, a woven, or I guess like a woven object and then turn it into a book. Hmm. That is kind of when I started to think about, or I had this sort of revelation that like, oh, of course, people have been making books for a really long time. Um, Even though like I live in this world of like, you know, machine made books, like people were hand making books for a very, very long time before this Uh point. And so that's when I began to like investigate bookbinding a little bit more. The, The college where I went to, the School of the Art Institute in Chicago, they at the time, and I don't think they do still, but they don't really have a program or a department dedicated to bookbinding. So um, I had to kind of like seek it out where I could, which was mostly in the printmaking department. Mm. But that is like where I learned kind of basic bookbinding skills and, and very basic binding structures. And that kind of turned me to North Bennett to to get a richer understanding of bookbinding. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting. So I guess that was my turning point, yeah. making a woven book. <laughs> well, I mean, that that story sounds a lot like Beth Krause's story, uh, who's the, she's Birch Bark Beth. She weaves Birch Bark and she said that 
she went up to North House Folk School in Minnesota and was really interested in boat building. And someone, she was kind of forced into a basket weaving class <laughs> and, and something clicked for her uh, during that process. And I think it's really interesting if you're open to a new experience as a craftsperson or, you know, this could extend just to anyone in the world basically is like, if you're open to trying something a little bit new, it might open your eyes in a way that you hadn't anticipated in a really positive way. So I just think that's really interesting. And uh, I'm wondering if the stories like that will kind of continue as we interview uh, craftspeople. Do you wish there was something that people knew outside of bookbinding? <laughs> the like people who aren't part of bookbinding, do you wish that they knew something about it that they clearly don't usually know? <laughs> and for Brian, it's it's uh, we've had this conversation several times. Um, yeah. It's that not all bookbinders repair Bibles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So, so, do you have some a story like that? Oh, definitely. And yeah, I, I kind of remind myself like whenever I talk to someone about my profession and I just get these sort of blank stares back from them. It's like, <laughs> um, <laughs> that like I, like I mentioned before, like I didn't even think about bookbinding until I went to college, even though like we're all familiar with books. So yeah, I, I think it, for me, it's been sort of easy to um, get them to understand kind of the work that I do for clients and that like bookbinders do more than just like repair work. Like people are mm -hmm. still creating new bindings and still like being innovative with bookbinding structures. I think for me, it's really hard to get someone to understand the more design binding work that I do for exhibits. Mm. They just don't kind of understand like the purpose of creating a piece of art around a book yeah. <laughs> um, and that like it's something that you kind of look at and you don't actually use. Mm -hmm. um, it's, I think it's weird for people, you know, like what's the purpose of a book if you can't actually read it. So yeah, I think I would, I would love to see kind of more exposure of design bindings in like the art and craft world. So mm -hmm. people can start to understand mm -hmm. um, that kind of mm -hmm. high level of book binding. And I guess the obvious question there is like, what's your motivation be behind making a book that isn't necessarily functional? Is that I think for me? <laughs> <laughs> Too hard of a question. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Sorry. I guess. Yeah, I guess. Like, get with it. Get with it, Amy. <laughs> well, I get like design binding is not like a new concept. It's mm -hmm. um, it's been around since like the early 20th century. Mm -hmm. um, so there is some like historical. And even before that, though, it it's been a thing That's i mean true. these presentation yeah. bindings for kings and queens mm. you know for centuries mm -hmm. or whatever you know they right. were never reading those right. it's not like they would go to the study and actually crack it open <laughs> i mean that it's just it's a it was like a status symbol sure like yeah i i don't know i kind of look at the book as sort of a blank canvas like if i were a painter that like i'm using the content, the content is there is the inspiration. Um, so I'm sort of building something around the, the content. And yeah, it's sort of there to support my art. It's not meant there to be like a usable object, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's, it's just so it's so interesting, and probably counterintuitive to some people where you have this thing where the function as you're making it is very important. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, these bindings are supposed to open like a book and they're supposed right. to feel very natural and fluid in your hand, even if you're not supposed to actually use them on the mm -hmm. daily. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's this kind of interesting, um, I don't know, almost uh, like an oxymoron or uh, paradox. Mm -hmm. That's the word I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just, I think that it's cool and there's totally a place for that. And I, I love that you're exploring that for sure. Yeah, it's very cool. There's a guy who lives in paradise off of Lake Superior with real estate so fine that no one can find it. He fishes every day 
often catching whitefish, but never less than walleye. It rains whatever else he wants or needs until it rains again, be it vegetables, moonshine, or whatever you're thinking of, all of which come down without getting damaged. You might think he'd need to take cover under his permanently pristine lake house when zucchinis are pounding the ground, but his feelings don't operate the same as yours or mine. Nothing can hurt him physically, and he's so content that he's at peace with an eternity without company. That's Michigan's very own Lloyd. A guy who's got it pretty tight except that every once in a while he'll have these lucid dreams that he's a woodworking company called Michigan Sloyd. A craft company that practices a Scandinavian woodworking process called Sloyd and produces many forms of useful objects, including utensils, wares, furniture, and accessories. Michigan Sloyd is run by Dawson Moore, a fan of craft, carrots, gnomes, and a fellow who doesn't need any more personal checks addressed to Lloyd Moore, which has actually happened. These checks are actually the only thing keeping Lloyd from reaching Nirvana. He doesn't need the money, and their karmic interruption is certainly a nuisance for Dawson Moore too, which is why I'm addressing this with you ahead of time, so that when you go to purchase that salad spoon you've wanted for a while, you don't make the same mistake. Hashtag set Lloyd free. Aaron, do you think your craft satisfies something that maybe you would or would not get from in a different job or career? That's a really interesting question. I, I haven't experienced really another type of job or career mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. I came to bookbending, you know, right after college, I, you know, went to North Bennett right after getting my BFA. Mm -hmm. And so I, and I find so much satisfaction in my job Mm -hmm. that I, I don't, I don't know really, I don't think I can answer that because I, I don't have any other experience to pull from and I will continue to be a bookbinder always. But I do think that, you know, my interests might pull me in other directions or just to kind of keep keep the work interesting or seeing how I can use my bookbinding skills in other ways mm-hmm. is something like I've been exploring recently. So yeah, I don't know. I really love being a bookbinder. <laughs> well, that's, that's great. I mean, you know, clearly there's a reason why you're continuing to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it just like, it really challenges me on like so many different levels as kind of an artist and an engineer and like the work is both like tactile and abstract at the same Mm -hmm. time. So, um, I mean, who knows, maybe in like 15 years, I'll be like, I hate this. I can't do it anymore. (laughs) But like for right now, I don't feel like that's going to happen. Like I just really, I really love the work. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, could I ask a question kind of circling back to, um, the design binding thing where you mentioned that those bindings for you are sort of your blank canvas. Yeah. And I think that it's just such a interesting thing that with book binders, we're kind of like, for better or for worse, like this is our medium and I don't really have control over the fact that this is how I feel I need to express my artistic yeah. drive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely how I feel. Like this is the medium that speaks to me. I have no idea why, mm-hmm. but it's the it is the way that I can express myself. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of how I feel. I mean, there's so many things about this craft that are very inconvenient from my experience. <laughs> For instance, you know, uh, if you want to make these types of books that we've been talking about that you make, or you know, mine's definitely a different category, but we use a lot of the same tools and equipment and materials Mm -hmm. and out of other crafts I feel like we have a huge assortment of materials that we need to keep in stock and uh, you know be it papers leathers Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying with woodworkers obviously they have different types of wood that they have and work with Mm -hmm. but it's still all wood uh, (laughs) I guess whereas we're dealing with like like paper and leather are very different. Mm-hmm. And then you yeah. have gold leaf, which like you look at it and then it dissipates into the atmosphere. <laughs> and, you know, it's always fighting you no matter what. And and so it's just interesting because we're kind of like, man, then you got to have all these little presses oh, and knives yeah. and 
things yeah. like that. And it's yeah. a lot of startup and a lot of things to um, yeah. cover in order to be able to mm. just make a mm-hmm. book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think it depends on the um, complexity of the book binding you want to get into. Absolutely. I think yeah. it's certainly manageable to to have a smaller setup, you know, less tools, less equipment, and still be able to make legitimate books. But yeah, I think that was something I struggled with leaving North Bennett because we um, are really spoiled there and have access to all different types of equipment and materials. And like, how can I survive as a business? Like, I can't, I can't immediately go out and get all of those things. Mm. Or maybe like even maintain the same type of inventory of materials. Mm -hmm. So I definitely think that that limited what I could, what kind of jobs I could take Mm -hmm. early on and, um, but kind of helped me figure out like how I wanted to develop my business and what type of projects I wanted to take on based on the materials that I knew I could um, afford and have continuous access to, um, and, and also the amount of space that I have in my studio. Well, what's, what's also leads into, could you tell us a little bit about, uh, third year studio? Because that, you know, that, well, can you just tell us about the studio and sort of what its setup is and how it's unique? I mean, you're working with other binders, not as a team, but in the same space. So Colin Urbina, um, who kind of runs Third Year Studio, um, and he has his own business, Low Mountain Bindery. He graduated from North Bennett um, a year before me and sort of had the means to kind of set up this um, studio space. There are four benches. So obviously Colin is at one of those benches. Um, I, I rent my bench from Colin. And then the other two benches are occupied also by former North Bennett students. Um, both of them have, they made the smart choice and they have full-time conservation gigs. <laughs> um, so they kind of use the studio to work on personal projects or kind of conservation projects they do outside of um, their institutions. Hmm. It's a great space. Um, we have a kind of similar feel to what it was like at North Bennett um, sort of that sense of community and we can um, use each other when we need help or, you know, if we want to sort of celebrate something. It's just nice to have another person in the studio um, to kind of talk through things. Yeah, that's the space. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the idea of, I mean, just that how if we want to celebrate something factored into it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, because that is like a, a thing I don't really think about is, you know, finishing this big project you've been working on really hard and then you don't you're like you mail it (laughs) (laughs) well yeah like you know we're working in the same space so like we can see what happens day to day so like it's very obvious if something goes wrong and Mm -hmm. yeah so it's good to um to have people around for both like the highs and lows Mm -hmm. but i think uh one thing i hadn't mentioned is what's great about our studio or or being in a studio with other binders is we can just like financially support each other in ways. And um, so we go in on materials together that we're all using, um, which is definitely really beneficial. So things like, you know, like binders board or like 20 point or like any of those kind of larger materials that we need to stock. That's um, I think been really beneficial to like the success of, of us that are in third year. Mm. Yeah. That, can I buy a share, a remote share? <laughs> <laughs> um, which also just for listeners who might not know, binders board just refers to the thick paperboard stock that we use as the cover material. <laughs> and it, it must, does it come in really big sheets or something or yeah. you have to, it's better to buy it in bulk. Yeah, we buy it in bulk and the sheets are, I only know it in millimeters. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> um, but I think it's like 30 inches by like 26 inches. So they're, oh, yeah, yeah, you can certainly purchase it in smaller sheets, but um, obviously it's cheaper to just buy it in the kind of parent size. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to say something about just craft community for maybe. Brian, what was your major in college? Chemistry. Chemistry. Okay. Oh, you guys had labs, though, I assume. So you were like in with a bunch of other chemistry people doing chemical things? Yes, doing chemical S- things. Sciencing. 
<laughs> I will say that I, during my undergraduate years, was when I also started bookbinding. And I knew that as soon as I made my first book, that I was not going to be a chemist. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh. I kind of... I won't say I checked out, but I definitely didn't invest very heavily in uh, my chemical training or that community. I was very much more enthralled with the world of bookbinding. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I really felt like I was a huge... It wasn't until my senior year that I finally felt like I bonded with a few of the other people in my little... My class, my graduating class. Chemi chemically? <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, kind of, because it was while we were walking at graduation, and I was sitting next to this, um, next to a fellow student named Thomas. But he was very, uh, he was very kind and packed extra mini bottles and uh, lemonade uh, packets, and then we would make vodka lemonades while we were waiting to walk across the graduation. Uh -huh. stage. So, so it was a chemical bond. It was a chemical <laughs> bond after all. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah. So when Aaron, when Aaron was talking about the community involved in having a shared workspace, it made me think of when art students are together in studio spaces and there's not a teacher there. Um, and, you know, the, the community bond or there, there can also be conflicts too, but Oftentimes, it's like you're all just sort of having fun listening to music and doing whatever you're doing. You ask the person who's sharing the table with you what they think of your work or there'll be like group crit critiques or something like that. And as we've mentioned before, um, craft can oft often be kind of an isolating mm -hmm. sole proprietor sort of situation. And I think it would be really cool to have more spaces available for craftspeople just as a bonding like a tangible bonding experience where you're like in the same building working on things just I, I think there's a lot of growth that can happen from that so it's really it's cool to hear someone sharing space with other book binders and uh experience shared experience that can happen is really positive so i think that's Absolutely. cool <laughs> yeah. that's why we have so much fun at our tiny conference Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and there definitely are book binders out there who you know work on their own and so Right. The conferences can be really great because they finally get to bond with these people who have the same mm -hmm. weird interests as them. Um. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember. So the conference that we're referring to is through an organization called the Guild of Book Workers. Uh, actually, Aaron and I both serve on the board in different capacities right now. And mm -hmm. Um, but we have a conference every year in the fall and 150 of us get together from all over the country and sometimes the world. It's a place where you can purchase materials and, uh, see talks by some of the leading experts who are giving us different techniques or talking about a certain type of binding, something like that. And then on top of that, we all just get to hang out together. And I remember the very first time that I went which was almost 10 years ago now. Um, I remember just going there, not knowing anybody and just thinking we all have this very important thing to us in common with each other. And I can talk to anybody here. How exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they'll know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No one's eyes will glaze over. Exactly. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> Who is someone inside your craft that you admire and then maybe someone outside of your craft that you admire? I would say within my craft, like so, I could just name so many bookbinders. Um, but um, kind of early on um, while I was a student, like really – you know, trying to understand the history of bookbinding and like the history of design binding, I definitely found inspiration um, in the work of Rhode Adler and uh, Sybil Pye, Ooh. who I kind of look as like both like sort of female pioneers in the field of design binding. Um, hmm. They were kind of there at the beginning, creating work in the early 20th century, just when women were like beginning to be recognized. 
um, for their work. In general. <laughs> in yeah, general. And, and in general. As people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Why? Why is it always like that? <laughs> Guys, I'm talking to you. What? Like, what? we need to listen because this is just pitiful. Literally every woman that we've talked to, obviously it's not some conspiracy. It's real. And we yeah. need to just be better listeners and encourage each other because we care about the same thing. So please let's do better. <laughs> Great. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I would say um, looking at like Sybil Pye's work specifically, she is just this sort of like creative like force. She was developing this style at the time that it was just like so uniquely hers. And I think like her bindings are still really recognizable to this day, mm. you know, to book binders, they can, they look at that and they know it's a Sybil Pie binding. What are, what do they look like? She was really inspired by um, like architecture. So they are almost symmetrical if you split them down across the spine. So the front cover and the back cover are almost um, mirroring each other. Hmm. But she worked primarily in a technique called inlay, which um, wasn't so much used at the time. So she was also kind of, um, I wouldn't say like pioneering that technique, but just using it more than um, her contemporary binders. But it, they're just, it, it has a very kind of modern look to it. I don't know. The other bindings at the time for me were just like very simple and kind of, building on other work at the time. And she was really doing something that was kind of bold and new. So, but like another part of her designs were these tools, um, finishing tools that she designed herself and they were just kind of simple geometric shapes. Would you just tell the listeners what a finishing tool is? Sure. <laughs> it feels weird, <laughs> weird for me to describe this since you're the one who makes them, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're the special guest. It'll be more interesting if you say it. So uh, um, finishing tool is typically a piece of brass um, inside, set inside of a wooden handle. And the end of the brass has a design on it. Um, and this tool is then used to create an impression of that design into the leather and you can further apply gold leaf um, to create that impression. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but yeah, she was like designing these kind of um, modern and like unique tools that were very different from the kind of floral flourishes that were being mm -hmm. used by other bindings at the time. Mm -hmm. um, so everything about her work just like, I think continues to feel like really sophisticated and modern. Um, and I just mm -hmm. like really admire what she was doing and, and that she was doing something like really unique and kind of letting her voice like speak in this field that didn't welcome her maybe as much as other, <laughs> as other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I love Civil Pie. Um, yeah. And, She's so and, cool. And yeah, she, I actually have like a photo of her binding and like um, behind me at my bench. And so um, I just get to like see her work every day and just kind of oh. remind me of, I don't know, like why I continue to do what I do or to like strive for like new, creating new like designs and playing with materials and stuff. But I, I don't, Brian, I don't know if you want to talk about making her tools. Sure. Wanna, yeah. If you want to get into that. Long story short, Aaron has uh, begun commissioning me or having me make, recreate some of Sybil Pye's tool designs. Um, but they're really fun for me to make because, as Aaron said, they're these very bold, simple, uh, kind of blocky but elegant, I guess, um, designs that are just like, it'll be a big, solid, like half circle or something like mm -hmm. that, where as for the most part, I make a lot of tools that are little delicate flowery type mm -hmm. designs. And so it's been a really fun project for me to work on. And I hope that Aaron has been happy with the results so far. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I definitely have. And I I still haven't like used all of them on a finished binding, but um, I do I do love the kind of elegance that they add um, when I have used them. And um, I don't know, I just I just feel like I'm 
sort of spiritually like connecting with Sybil every time that I use them. Whoa, <laughs> that's really cool. I like that. Dang, that just made little tiny hairs on my arms go. Oh, really? <laughs> wow. <Yeah. laughs> that is that's really neat. I I was. It's such a cool way, you know, to pay homage. I guess um, I hadn't. I didn't really know what your end goal was with having those. So. Um, that's yeah, really I don't, I don't think I knew either. Like when I first commissioned you, I think it was sort of this, um, just like desire that I had over this kind of lust that I had over like her work and, <laughs> and these tools. And I don't know, it's just like, I, I need to have these. I don't know why yet, but like, I need to have these, um, these <laughs> your <days>. intuition so. <laughs> is telling you. Yeah, exactly. Oh, good. But I, I think like content, there are a lot of contemporary binders um, whose work I really love. I'm kind of like lured into anyone who's like playing with texture or like developing new ways of um, decoration. So just to like shout out some names, um, mm-hmm. like Colleen Curry, um, she's like always pushing the boundaries and, and pulling in like odd materials. She works with metals and um exotic skins like we were discussing earlier like Mm -hmm. fish skin and and frog and she also um works with fashion leathers a lot so like leathers that are made for the fashion industry um either like for clothing or for shoes and handbags Mm. kind of distorting them in interesting ways i also really love the work of sue doggett and hannah brown who both work with embroidery in their leather bindings in similar and different ways from myself. And they're both um, people that I like reach out to from time to time, you know, if I'm struggling with that technique specifically, because they have similar experiences to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the work of Annetta Friedrich. She employs um, foil tooling. So instead of using gold leaf or some other type of um, metal leaf, she uses foil, which is a sort of a, a sheet of um, pigment that um, is also has a layer of adhesive in it and is activated through the heat from your finishing tool. Um, mm. So you can um, create your impression in your pigmented area through foil. It's a kind of wow. a faster process. And also because the pigment can be a variety of colors, you know, pulls you away from the more traditional looks of like gold and palladium Mm. and and stuff like that. But Mm. when I first sort of launched myself into this world after um, graduating from North Bennett, I conducted a lot of interviews um, on my blog, Flash of the Hand. Um, And these were um, kind of ways for me to like introduce myself to other people in the field. But also I was just, I think so like thirsty for like, more knowledge and more understanding about design binding. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely the interviews that I've conducted on my blog are with people whose work I really admire. So mm. if you want to know who else I really love, you can check that out <laughs> on my blog. <laughs> well, and in many ways, uh, what Amy and I are trying to do with the podcast is the exact same. It seems like this altruistic thing from the outside <laughs> where we're trying to spread the love of craft but really it's just because we want to talk with people whose work we admire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We want to learn more about something like Exactly. Yeah. But I think that's totally like legitimate. I mean, you're going to be producing the best interviews if it's with mm. someone whose work mm-hmm. you admire. That's true. Do you have any uh people outside of your craft that you're interested in or you wish you could sit down and have a workshop with or anything like that? I guess um, outside of my craft, I've um, always loved the work of um, Sheila Hicks. She's a textile artist who, like me, is native to Nebraska, um, but she currently lives in France. Um, I've just always been attracted to her work. It has really lovely textures and she works in such vast scale. She does these kind of small sort of woven sketches in picture frames. Mm. Um, And then she also does these huge um, installations of sort of, those aren't usually woven pieces, but they might be like bound rope um, or just kind of like these weird hanging, like wrapped rope pieces. Mm -hmm. And Mm. on a recent trip um, that my husband and I took to Paris, I was very, um, very excited because we, overlapped with an exhibit of hers and there were these pieces that were just kind of scattered across the city um, in 
sort of installed in these really weird spaces. They would just be like inside of a window in an abandoned storefront or little tufts inside of, inside of books um, at a French bookstore. And so it was really lovely to kind of like experience her work in this like really intimate way and sort of um, have this kind of scavenger hunt feel to it. Yeah. yeah, So I always enjoy her work whenever I see it, but I think, since I'm getting more and more into embroidery work, I've just been looking at other embroidery artists and like seeing what kind of new things they're doing. I don't have any specific names to call out for that, but I definitely, I definitely like lean on Instagram for like finding new embroidery artists. (laughs) You know, there were artists that like I sort of knew of before Instagram. So like, I guess maybe they led me to other people. And I also, subscribe to um an embroidery magazine which um interviews like contemporary artists so that's like another outlet where i find inspiration from what's the name of the magazine i think it's just called embroidery magazine (laughs) (laughs) i think i can remember that Um, and that's just like one of a few, um, embroidery magazines and like fiber art magazines that are out there. Can you tell us a little bit about the blog that you mentioned? What are some advantages and what are some disadvantages of putting digital content out there for someone working in a handcraft and how do you balance the difference? Yeah, the blog I... Um, started right after I graduated um, back in 2012. And and like I mentioned, it was kind of a way for me to get myself out there, get my name out there, start interviewing um, binders who were either like new in the field as well, or had been in the field for a long time. And in addition to the interviews, I was also Um, posting about like my own work, giving some insights to how certain client pieces or exhibit pieces were created. And I think that putting that stuff out there, I'm comfortable doing to a point. I don't think that I, you know, say every specific little step that I do to make like my design binding work. Um, but I think it's important for that information to be out there and accessible. I have definitely had students come to my workshops who found me through my blog Mm -hmm. or people who have come to the um, full-time program at North Bennett who found me through like the interviews on my blog. So not only was it sort of a way for me to speak about bookbinding and interview people and learn more, it was like a way to pull in other people who maybe were thinking about bookbinding, but didn't really know what it entailed or had never heard of it Mm. before. So I, and I think with like with the craft of and the trade of bookbinding, like we've kind of survived to this point because we've been so willing to share like our techniques. So yeah, I mean, I do think that like as someone who's also an instructor, I don't share everything, And I try to find that balance of like, what will intrigue people and what will excite people. But like, you know, what are things that I can sort of share or pull back and share in a, Mm -hmm. in the right, in the right venue, like a workshop, for example. Mm -hmm. Well, and to a certain extent too, wouldn't you say there's really only so much you can share until someone's tried it? Like, because there's so much troubleshooting that goes into a new technique, sometimes you're just wasting time by trying to give all of the information up front. Like you want to wait to invest that until someone's really exhibiting very strong interest in that area because it can be tricky to word those things. Yes. I definitely think that some aspects of bookbinding are very difficult to, to write out in like an instructional form and in that like it's much easier um, to have that kind of live component where you're talking about what you're doing, but the person is also seeing what you're Mm -hmm. doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like I could, I think you like you, I could explain everything, but right. I think what Brain is saying is like, it, it's not going to matter or make sense to most right. people. So, well, that makes sense. And, and there's also like, there's a certain amount of communication that happens that's not verbal. So sometimes you can tell right. when someone, like in my own experience of teaching someone how to carve something, oftentimes I can tell that they don't really know what I'm talking about, but they're afraid to say. <laughs> That they don't understand it. Mm. And so I'll like, are you sure you understand? You know, like, here's 
you know, just try to like <laughs> crack it open a little bit and say, no. oh, it's okay if you don't understand, because that means I'm not doing a good job explaining yeah. it. <laughs> it doesn't mean you're bad. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I understand a little bit of that, but I, I also have been, you know, once again, not having had to piece together my own education. I've just, I'm so open about when mm, I don't mm-hmm. know things and I'm mm. happy to be the most ignorant person <laughs> in the room and, yeah. and to express that. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we love about you, Brian. Yeah, I definitely, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> I do like when I'm starting a class or like in my first demonstration, I do like to announce to everyone that like they should obviously be listening to what I'm saying, but they should also be paying attention to what my hands are doing and like how my body is positioned Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. the work. Mm. Um, Because there might be things that I'm doing that are necessary that I'm, I'm not um, expressing through Mm -hmm. words. And yeah. And I think like (laughs) when you become a teacher, like it's good to like be able to spot, you know, people who are struggling, who might feel Mm -hmm. bashful about, you know, asking for further instruction. And that's been like a really fun challenge over the years is like figuring out how to speak about a technique Mm -hmm. differently um, or like reframe things so that, you know, the majority of people in the class can understand mm-hmm. what you're trying yeah. to, mm-hmm. to, to demonstrate. Yeah, sure. yeah. They're like, wait, so w- when you're co- doing a demo, when you're covering people are like, so wait, where did your third arm come from? <laughs> 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 well, yeah, exactly though. But it's like, yeah, like, you know, putting things into your armpit so that you can like use your arm, like both hands or whatever. And yeah, it's like these little things that like, they might not be computing what you're doing in your armpit, but it's very important for them to, to know. <laughs> well, I feel, and I, I feel like nobody, nobody knows just how much spit is on every handbound book. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not spitting. <laughs> Wait, not like actually like hawking a loogie and spitting it, but but just like how much saliva ends up. You know, you're sitting there covering, and you lick your bone folder, and then. Like, mm, you know, smooth something do down. That, oh, <laughs> I definitely do that. My my working technique might not be COVID. Yeah, probably. yeah. No, it definitely <laughs> doesn't sound like it. <laughs> well, I guess I, yeah. No, I definitely like will rely on spit sometimes. And I was actually teaching a workshop. <laughs> I was teaching a workshop at North Bennett the week the school decided to close um, for COVID. And, um, you know, sh- during that workshop, I was trying to be like really <laughs> mindful about not doing things that I normally do. Um, and we were doing edge decoration and um, which is where you apply pigment or leaf to like the edge of the text block. And you have to fit it into these specific boards to kind of keep everything really like nice and tight. And I usually like lick the board or like lick my hand and put spit on the board. So it like suctions <laughs> to the book. I'm like, uh, I can't, can't do that right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> I knew I would tease it out of you. I've I never know, met a bookbinder who doesn't. <laughs> yeah. These are all habits I developed from my teacher, Jeff Altapeter, who Brian knows. Um, <laughs> we'll definitely have to have him on the show one day. Definitely. <laughs> Uh, so, Aaron, if someone wants to see more of your work, where can they find you? A couple of places on the internet. Um, you can go directly to my website, which is herringbonebindery.com. And I have portfolio work, both what I do with clients and what I've done um, for exhibits. And I teach frequently, mostly at North Bennett, but I've I'm taught elsewhere across the mm-hmm. country. So, if you're someone who's interested in bookbinding, um, you can look at my workshop section. Um, or if you're someone who hires um, people to teach workshops, you can see what kind of workshops mm-hmm. I offer. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. Check out the other embroiderers that I follow. Um, I'm there uh, <laughs> uh, at Herringbone Bindery. And um, in the blog that I mentioned, um, Flash of the Hand, you can find a link through my website. I will say it's not um, 
It's not been finding much love from me lately. I've just been really busy, but there's a lot of great archives of interviews that I've done in the past. Yeah, it's a fantastic, not only resource, but it's also just very well written and put together and it it looks great. It was how I first found out about your work as well. Um, oh, great. Way back when. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah. can't recommend it enough. Cool. It's definitely worth a visit. But yeah, well, thank you so much, Aaron, for giving us a little bit of your time and for sharing uh, something about your work and your experiences in the wonderful <laughs> world of bookbinding. Oh, well, thank you so much again for having me. This was a, a real yeah. joy. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay, next up, we have an interview with Wooden Spoon mogul Dawson Moore. And to give you a glimpse into the multifaceted world of spoon carving, here's a brief clip from that interview. So what's with the carrots? <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty simple. It identifies me as a member of a secretive gnome cult. <laughs> what? Um, I want to be part of yeah, it. It's a... Can I have a carrot? <laughs> okay, Umbo, take us home. Please feel free to hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review us because it helps with the show's visibility. Yeah, thank you so much to everyone who's taken the time to rate the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's really weirdly very important to helping people find the show, so thank you. Also, thanks to everyone who has contributed to our Patreon account. Every dollar helps us bring you meaningful and entertaining interviews and enables us to build a community that supports folks trying to get into handcraft. Yeah, in particular, thanks to our new patrons, Elizabeth and John, for supporting us on Patreon. That rhymed. Uh, we're getting closer to filling our minimum requirements for the t-shirt, so thanks to everyone who's added their name to the pile. Well, that was a weird way to say that. <laughs> also, follow us on Instagram at Cut the Craft Podcast to see images of our guests' work and stay up to date on happenings and releases. You can find us both on Instagram at Amy underscore Umble and at BH Bidler. Also, if you have any questions, interview requests, or other crafts you'd like to see represented, you can email us at cutthecraftpodcast at gmail.com. Ooh, we're also still taking submissions for our next side projects, where we'll be looking to hear from you about what you do to push through a lack of motivation. Like, what do you do when you're not feeling it? Yeah. We've had a few email responses so far, and I'm looking forward to seeing yours. <laughs> yeah. And as always, we're forever grateful to those who have helped make this podcast a reality. Thanks, Brad Vetter, for your graphic design. Our good friends, the High Divers, for letting us use your sweet tunes. Our resident poet, Justin Williams, for his commercial wizardry. And to Ian Carstens for his help and advice with the technical side of things. We hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Thanks. See you next time. 